patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicate to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everybody and welcome to our first 2022 solo episode. I'm your host Sherman Tylowski. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I hope you had a wonderful New Year's holiday and you're looking forward to 2022 and what it will bring for all of us. As a kind reminder, make sure to subscribe and also for those of you who are new to our channel, Welcome to our podcast. I hope you will enjoy lots of the amazing content that we have released in the past and also the content that we are planning to release in the near and distant future. Today's episode is one that starts off on a more somber tone. On January 6th, 2021, in what was mainly supposed to be a ceremonial day, Unfortunately, America encountered one of the darkest days in the history of our nation. Rioters and protesters who claimed that the election of 2020 was stolen stormed the Capitol building, injuring police officers, threatening lawmakers, stealing podiums, damaging artwork, knocking down barricades, smashing windows. They did all this because they thought that they were doing something for the country. When in fact, what they did was absolutely traitorous, criminal, and purely disgusting. I bring this event up because I was in lockdown on January 6, 2021. At that time, I was only in my third day as an intern for a house member. That day will always be in my mind because it just seriously was one of the craziest days, an unimaginable day that no one could ever predict. For the sake of the length for this episode, I will not be going too much into the details of my experience on the Capitol. However, I have done a number of interviews since that day on various podcasts and other outlets discussing my experiences on that day, as well as the subsequent events that followed in the weeks and months afterwards. I've also done a number of interviews that relate to how people can come together to condemn this horrific day, but also to find new ways for people to unite and to find common ground, to get along with one another, regardless of people's differences. I've noticed that the country is in desperate need for some kind of civility after such an event like January 6th. For anyone who's interested in watching some of these interviews or listening in to some of these podcast episodes I've done about this event, I've linked a few down in the show notes below, but you can also learn more at my company's website, georgewashington.org. I'll link that down below for you as well. 
Today, what I'm going to do is to recap briefly about my experiences on that day, some of the successes and failures that I've seen since January 6th up until today, and an overview of how Washington's farewell address and the principles can help lead us to more sustainable solutions for us as we move further further away from January 6th. As I mentioned earlier, I was an intern on my third day with an office with full of people that I really didn't know very well. They were just fantastic people. And ultimately, throughout my internship, they're just absolutely some of the most dedicated American public servants I've ever, ever known. When I was still in the application process for this internship back in November 2020, I was actually the one who picked the week to start my internship. And the main reason why I wanted to do that is because I just didn't think that anything was going to happen. I wanted to pick a week where I can be comfortably getting to know people without a whole lot of legislative business happening. And I thought that that week was just going to be the prime week to maximize my time on Capitol Hill with this House member's office. Well, little did I know that that certainly was not going to happen. Even the days before January 6th, there was still a lot going on as a lot of existing and new members' offices were getting set up for the 117th Congress legislative year. Walking to work on the morning of January 6th, I knew that security was going to be really, really heavy. But never did I think that I was actually going to be stuck at the entrance for a little while, and it took some time, but somehow, in some way, my member was able to come down and, quote-unquote, rescue me from the bitter January cold and allow me to enter into the building and resume my internship on that day. Uh, It's just a long story, but I cannot believe that I can tell people that a, literally a member of Congress saved me from that bitter January cold wind chill. The morning proved to be a very, very busy one. I was feeling a lot of phone calls, many of them not so very pleasant, especially about the recent special elections in Georgia just the day before on January 5th. Remember, that day was supposed to be a ceremonial practice. When Congress convenes to count the electoral votes, to hear any objections, and to proceed with the certification of the electoral votes. I always thought that this was going to be a very, very interesting ceremony to be able to track on TV and just to be able to carry on business as usual in the office. Well, just when I was about to get on my lunch break, My lunch break was certainly very much cut short by our first call about a lockdown. Reports came in saying that there was a bomb planted outside the RNC building, which is just a stone's throw away from the Cannon House office building, which is the nearest house office building out of all three major ones right next to the Capitol. In an instance... I found myself going from answering phone calls to scrambling to grab any essential belongings 
and to evacuate peacefully and safely with the rest of the office staff and really all the other offices that were heading towards the same direction. All I can really remember is that it was just crazy and just a lot of chaos in the hallways. It kind of reminded me a little bit about some of those fire drill evacuations that I used to do back in school, except that uh, everyone is dressed a little bit better. Uh, There are no kids around, just adults. And uh, this was certainly no drill whatsoever. I would always felt safe throughout that time during that first evacuation, uh, but we went to a safer place in the complex. And after about 30 minutes or so, we actually got that call back. But I'll never forget though, while waiting in that room, in the safe place, I could see right outside the window, a huge crowd that has swarmed and swelled right in front of the west side of the U.S. Capitol. Now look, I'm a political junkie. I'm a D.C. junkie, if you want to call me that. I've seen demonstrations before on Pennsylvania Avenue, on the National Mall. I've, I've, it seems like I've seen it all, and I've really only been studying in politics or working in politics for less than 10 years. But when I saw this crowd, I knew instantly that something was going on. There was just absolutely no way that any of these people could be stopped by a small number of police officers in riot gear. That's when I started to see how raucous the crowd was and also how dangerously close they got to the members in the House and Senate chambers. You can literally stand in the window, see that huge crowd right outside, and just imagine what things would be like if things got crazy and if things got so violent that people started getting hurt, people started getting killed. How would this nation and the world respond if something were to happen? That was really what I was thinking as I'm standing there just really waiting to go back to the office. And we get that first all clear after a little while. We go back to the office, not even two minutes later. We get that second call to evacuate once again. And this time, I heard that there was an intruder that had broken into the Cannon House office building. Now, people might think, well, it it is one building, isn't it? What about the other two? Well, if anyone has ever been to Capitol Hill, all these buildings are interconnected by tunnels. So if someone enters one of those buildings and no one is tracking that individual, that person could be anywhere within that complex, including the U.S. Capitol, which is also connected by a tunnel between itself and the House and Senate buildings. So I grabbed some essential things I needed, and I rushed with alongside my office, and we headed down, this time with our member back, actually. He had come back from the house side, and we just found a safe place near the capital, and somewhere in, in the capital complex. I found myself in hiding with members of Congress, staffers, and even one fellow intern. And you, you can probably imagine 
what his internship was like and what my internship was like and how this is all going so far. And I've even been the end of the third day of our internships on Capitol Hill. While I knew that we were in safe hands in a safe part of the Capitol complex, what we saw on social media and on television truly it just it just truly shocked me. You know, I'm I'm recounting this story to all of you as I'm recording this and I I I still can't believe what I saw. Like when I'm seeing the footage of people having broken into the Capitol, we we saw literally the the tweets, the messages from people whom I knew, whether text messages from family and friends, even on of course on social media and on the news. That first message when I saw that rioters had broken into the Capitol building, I was truly, truly devastated. I had an intern on the Hill before in the summer of 2019. I had the privilege to be serving yet one more time for another member. And I remember in 2019, when I was getting the training to learning how to give people a tour of the U.S. Capitol, we were told for precautionary reasons, some of those important steps to take in an emergency situation. At that time, in 2019, I remember when the Capitol Visitor Center instructors who were, by the way, fantastic, fantastic people. I remember when they said, I don't think it's going to happen, but just just to let you know, in case that happens, this is what you do. And that's how everyone thought. Everyone thought that the Capitol was the safest place, perhaps not just in D.C., but perhaps one of the safest places in the entire world. And all, every single bit of reality from that time before January 6, 2021, started to crumble into bits. I saw how these rioters were injuring and beating up police officers. I saw a man even steal a riot shield and throw it back at the officers. I've seen officers pepper sprayed. I've seen some of the most vulnerable language you can ever imagine from anyone. That was all being broadcast. And thanks to technology, we were able to track what was going on. But I, I, I just, I want to really emphasize this point here. The worst feeling out of all this is the feeling of helplessness. Of course, I wanted to be safe. I want to make sure that my office knew I was safe. But God, did I really feel to go out there and just help those officers, help those people who are just doing their job of protecting members of Congress and this wonderful building and institution. And to see all of that unfold right in front of my eyes on my third day of my internship, it's just was just mind-boggling. I I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm by the way, I am recording all this without any notes. Because this this has always been in the back of my mind, one way or another, since that day. I started to think about the purpose 
of me getting to politics. When I first got that interest in politics, I wanted to make a positive difference in how society is run. When young people especially see this, it, it can be really hard to process because there are already so many things that are ha- going wrong already in the world that you might feel like, why this? Why does something like this need to happen? And you just you, you almost just can't believe how seriously, seriously raucous and seriously violent people can be. But you see it. And you have to be hiding in some room, you know, away from the office. You don't know you don't know what the state of your office is at that point, because because you you don't you have no idea what is happening. And as great as technology is, it, it can be so hard to relay information for people to receive that information. I, I give complete credit to my office, which has done an amazing job, did a fantastic job on that day, communicating with me and everybody else on the team, especially the leadership in the office, the, uh, the, the, the people who really make the office what it is, an amazing place to be. They really do deserve so much credit for how they handled this unprecedented situation. After several hours, we were finally given the all clear. What I th- And I hoped that this will be the final all clear because the last time we had the all clear, wasn't that clear at all. But we finally got the all clear to go back to the office. Thank goodness our office was fine. Uh, it, the Cannon Building, uh, the Longworth and Rayburn Buildings were largely unscathed. Uh, so just really the house side uh, was was all right, but the the Capitol was not. Um, I've you know in the days days ahead, I've I've seen barricades. Everyone knows about that fence that went around. How to see that thing? I I came into this internship with no fence. And then I left that internship with much of that fence still around. I want to also just say that after such a crazy night, didn't even get home until nine o'clock or something. Just and not to mention that it was it was also kind of challenging to navigate through some dark streets. Uh, DC does not ha- always have the brightest street lights. And you don't know where these these loonies were. We were so glad that finally police were able to clear and secure the Capitol by about 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock that evening after hours of just absolute madness. To give you some stats here uh, from from January 6th, five people died. One from a gunshot. When a Capitol Police officer shot Ashley Babbitt near the Speaker's lobby, which is a, a place that every single member of Congress knows and has so much significance in the House of Representatives. One uh, had died from a drug overdose. Uh, three uh, others were from natural causes. But what is kind of missing there, it says five deaths, if you look at Wikipedia, if you look at any of the source out there. But remember, so many people got hurt. 138 police officers 
were injured. Number of them sent to the hospital. Four officers who were at on that day are not here anymore because they died of suicide. Within seven months, we lost four Capitol Police officers who committed suicide because they, they didn't feel like what they did was worth it. Well, let me tell you something here. I will say this unequivocally here. What Capitol Police officers on that day did and what law enforcement did, what the National Guard did to respond, while there were a huge number of issues with regards to response and on all the rest, I want to take this time to thank all those law enforcement personnel who showed up that day to clear and to secure a building and institution that was just absolutely trashed by these these ridiculous idiots. I'll never forget, as I was leaving the Catlin Complex, you're walking through the hallways, I saw probably dozens, probably, I'm just guessing, dozens of different kinds of law enforcement agencies and personnel all responding there. And I'll never forget walking through those hallways saying to as many as we could, thank you. We just walked past it. Thank you all so much for your service. Thank you for being here. Thank you all for what you're doing. I want to give credit for my office for, for having that sense of professionalism for, of mannerism. I, I, I just think that they, uh, they, they present such a great example for me. Um, and that's, that, that was the least we can do, I felt like, to at the very minimum say thank you to our law enforcement personnel. In the days and weeks ahead, as I mentioned earlier, we had a fence surrounded up. And, and I think this is where I will stop. When, I, when you see that an event such as the one on Capitol Hill on January 6, 2021, you just cannot believe that something this horrific would happen. At this point here, we're still arresting people. 600 plus, probably actually probably even 700. I've, more than almost 700 people have been charged with crimes related to January 6th, with so many more that the FBI, the DOJ, uh, local and state and federal law enforcement are all working together. Uh, I, I, I want to give kudos to all these agencies for working around the clock to try to look for these people and bring them to justice. I am also very, very disheartened by the physical damage. Not only is it something that people have to pay for, and I'm pay people, I mean the taxpayers, not only is it being paid by taxpayers because it's not insured, but uh, we all of a sudden, we can we can never have the same sense of safety that it was we used to have on Capitol Hill before January 6th. Since that day, there's there are a few things that I want to point out. Some are successes, some are failures, or things that we have not really improved dramatically over last year. Now, keep in mind, though, that positive change is not going to happen overnight. Even one year is not going to drastically change in an, you know the political environment. But there can't be steps moving towards that direction. 
So this is more of just a recognition of some of the steps that we have taken in the right direction and some steps that we have taken backwards or things that we just haven't acted on. One of the things that I've been very pleased about, surprisingly, is the information that we continue to get about January 6th. Even though the political process of putting together the January 6th Select Committee that Speaker Pelosi helped put together, it is now currently chaired by, uh, by a Mississippi congressman, a Democrat named Benny Thompson. Um, he is also the chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, and uh, so I think he is a reasonable choice, in my opinion, uh, because of that overlap between Homeland Security and January 6th. Regardless of how politicized the committee may be perceived to be or how it is run, I hope that new information will help us learn more about January 6th and put together the best complete record we can possibly get about that day. There are some things that we didn't know until a little bit later on, just like a lot of big events, or really just the, through the course of history. For example, I went, attended the funeral for Officer Brian Sicknick, who was one of the Capitol Police officers who died soon after the January 6th attack. Turns out, he actually died more from natural causes, but his role in January 6th did contribute in some part to his passing. Very different from the initial reporting and belief that Officer Sitnik had died from his injuries on that day. I appreciate the fact that according to a YouGov poll, more than 70% of Americans believe that there is more to be learned about January 6th. And I do think that there is more to learn. How those results in future punishments and penalties are still up for grabs. We still need to look at that information objectively. But I'm glad to see that people still have a big interest, or at least some interest, in how the days unfolded. Because let's be honest here, regardless of what people's political views are, and this episode certainly is for anyone, regardless of whether they're Democrat or Republican or Independent or Libertarian or whatever party they may be, we need to do better in learning how to respond to such events, not just as a nation, as an electorate, but really looking at the apparatus of responding to homeland security threats, learning about intelligence, understanding that the Capitol Police Force can be an integral part of our intelligence and of our homeland security apparatus. It's just things like that that can be very beneficial, I think, to the surrounding D.C. area, but also really just in general of how we can learn to mitigate threats so that these events don't ever happen again. I'm also pleased that there are people within Capitol Hill, and I do believe across the nation, who condemned this attack, whether it's in private or in public. I've met people who, for various different reasons, cannot say certain things or cannot or do not wish to express something in a blunt manner because of whatever political rep repercussions there are. I hope that in the at some point in the future, they will be able to have that capacity to speak very directly and very bluntly about January 6th, 
but that day might just might not be there yet for them. And I'm, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that more and more people will come out and express their condemnation, even when they might not currently be in a position to do so. Unfortunately, there's some things that I'm very, very disappointed about, or things that we have a long way to go on. The first really is political discourse. We still have members of Congress in Twitter battles. I mean, this is not a good example. I don't care where people are from or what political party they're from. We, When we elect leaders, we, we have high expectations for them. Now, we shouldn't be set, setting unrealistic expectations, but we should be setting them very, very high. And when leaders go around saying that they will lead, and yet they fall into this idea of getting into some kind of Twitter battle with someone, it just doesn't reflect very well of the civic culture that we have. It doesn't improve any political discourse. That person that you just insult on Twitter, that person's not going to like you anymore. So why, why are people engaging in this behavior more people, it's not just members. I don't want to put all the blame on members, but I do think just largely speaking, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who still don't know what self-reflection means in politics. Politics is a very, very brutal sport. There's people who get into it for good reasons and for the worst reasons, but people need to understand that it, it, they might not be the culprits of January 6th, but there's a lot of people out there who willingly say things and do things, whether it's calling someone a bad name or breaking a glass window and during a protest or burning down buildings. These are, these are not only criminal, but these are so detrimental to the fabric of our political discourse and I know that throughout the course of American history, it has not been an easy ride. But it, sometimes it, it just takes one person to refrain him or herself and say, I'm going to take a better course of action today. When I say that I want more bipartisanship, there's a poll out there that says 80% of Americans, somewhere around that range, want both parties to work closer together. But the real question is, out of that 80%, how many of these people actually are trying to do that themselves? Calling for bipartisanship, wishing that it'll come, it, it, that's not a solution. <laughs> you know, Just like anything, you can't just wish for economic prosperity. You can't just wish that you want a Ferrari and it'll just come. Heck, even in the movie, if you build it, they will come. You still got to build it. You still have to put in the effort and the work. That still remains a big question. We still need to work on our civil discourse. And I, I could go on for a very, very long time on this subject, but I do want to get this out there for all of you and know that this is still a process that we are working on. I also do believe that we are still working on figuring out how social media fits in with our political discourse. While there might be a number of benefits to it associated with uh, gathering people's uh, opinions on different sources, it can be such an echo chamber. And, and it can also be such a massive environment too, where you have literally millions and billions of comments and posts and whatnot to sift through. If you're an intelligence or if you're 
task to go through uh, someone's profile, that's, that's a really daunting task. We have to be more honest and have more conversations about the role of social media. Because when I see these morons storming the Capitol with their cell phones, filming themselves, thinking that they're some kind of hero, that that poses a real problem. While it's generally not just on January 6th, the January 6th became an epitome of social media stupidity. And that is something we need to we need to fully address as not maybe not purely as a national security issue, but as a cultural problem. We need to really, really confront this ourselves. If we don't, we're going to let social media become an even bigger and bigger, bigger issue. We can't let the issues overwhelm us. We really cannot. Now, I'd like to tie this in with some of Washington's principles. Something that I frequently do on my guest episodes where I ask my guests to reflect on Washington's values and to see how those can be applied to that conversation or that interview that I'm I'm conducting with them. And I'm going to do the same thing here. I've just recently out, I've just outlined some of the things that I feel like are successes, some of the things that I don't think we're doing enough on. And there's still plenty more. But for the sake of the brevity of this episode, I'm going to leave it there for now. But we will certainly revisit many, if not all, of these issues and many more that I have not mentioned in this episode. I'll start with the first principle here, patriotism. The biggest takeaway I can see here is that one can be patriotic even if you lose elections. Even after multiple court hearings and lawsuits and all the rest, these people still didn't get the message and they couldn't respect a loss on their part. That is a real problem. We have a real, real problem with a number of people not having faith in our democracy. Patriotism is about loving your nation and to keep fighting for it and support it, regardless of who wins in office. If you don't win in that election, you work harder for the next election. That's when one looks at one's strategy, the messaging, the campaign strategy, and whatever it is to do better in the next election, because we will always have elections for any of these positions that we have, whether it's President of the United States or down to dog catcher. It's also important to know that patriotism is a value that we should absolutely cherish, something that can bring people together, that we can celebrate, that we share this great nation together, celebrating 4th of July together, celebrating President's Day together, finding those opportunities to find another fellow patriot and to say, I love this country just like you. That is part of the spirit of patriotism. Next one is faith. We must have faith in our democracy. It is just a a very, very simple fact, and we are not doing a good job on that. Faith starts with having those moral principles and guidance, knowing the difference between right versus wrong. That is exactly what didn't happen for the writers on January 6th. They didn't understand what was right and what was wrong. They conflated those two. That is how a society begins to break down, is when 
systemically, people start to lose track of what is morally right, what is morally wrong. Every single country and every single culture must set those moral guidance and that moral guidance and the moral principles. And when people don't follow those those principles, they have to face a justice system. They have to face the consequences for doing wrong. Teaching people civics and the importance of engagement with others. Engagement with others doesn't have to be fighting over a political issue. It could just be talking. It could be just having someone sit down right in front of you, have a cup of coffee with you, and just talk it out. These are some of the simple things that can brew faith in someone or in a system. When we know that a system is not perfect, but a system that can be better. A system that can be more perfect, in the words of the United States Constitution. National unity is the next one. Think about how many people came together in the in wake of such a terrible day to denounce what had happened. I was really, really touched when I saw that people on different sides of the aisle unequivocally denounce what had happened on January 6th and to praise all those who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. I was pleased to see that. And I know that others would be pleased to see that too. But also we've seen huge, huge divisions. We've seen misconceptions about one another. Some people might be conflating someone's different views on election integrity for someone who thinks that they think January 6th was legitimate. It just doesn't make sense when we have all that potential to come together to condemn this and to find and forge new ways to speak to one another again, to fix our intelligence system, to motivate people to get into public service and to serve our communities. Those are the things that we should be uniting around. We still have a long way to go. And while I was pleased with some of the reactions that had come after January 6th, and seeing just the sheer numbers of people with their support of the police officers on that day, as well as really just bonding together as Americans and knowing that this was not anywhere near what America represents, we still we still have a long way to go. But I hope that national unity becomes a very, very essential part of our nation's soul and the course of history of our country. Education. Very, very simple here. I really think that people need to learn all the different aspects of January 6th, learning about how the day unfolded, understanding the circumstances that led to that day, but perhaps more importantly, also understand that there's so much oral history out there that we still have yet to extract and to preserve for future generations. I'm pleased that Networks like C-SPAN, C-SPAN has done an amazing job on interviews from people of all different walks of life and all different perspectives. I'm really glad that they had a series where they had lawmakers on both sides of the aisle to share their experiences. That is a start. By starting, they just listen from people, even people who weren't in lockdown January 6th. I don't think it should just be my story or another member's story or just Congress's story. 
this is part of American history. We all need to have some kind of say and some kind of feeling on what we felt about January 6th. And I can just tell you that my goal is to help put out that mission and to um, open it up to anyone who wants to openly express their feelings about that day. Just have people have that openness. That is really, that's really a key part of it. And the more we can learn, the more we hear, and with the more we can teach current and future generations about this day, which is going to happen, the, the better off we're going to be as a nation because the more knowledge, the more education, the more we can provide for our kids so that they can understand what had happened on that day, the more confidence and faith we're going to have in the future generations of Americans. Next is fiscal responsibility. We need to be smart on how we spend our money, whether it's on the U.S. Capitol Police, whether it's on intelligence, whether it's on you know economic prosperities. We need to have a better understanding of how all this fits in with how we make choices about how we keep ourselves safe, how we ensure economic prosperity, promote general happiness, um, and to achieve the basics of what government can and should do. Um, just, uh, just to have a good sense of where money's going. That, that is also going to be a very, very important question as we think about the future of intelligence, homeland security, cybersecurity, and all those threats that we are facing in this contemporary technological and political environment. And finally, civility. Probably the most obvious theme out of all of these in our conversation today in this episode about January 6th, uh, but I will just reiterate uh, the importance of civility and just having that not even just as a as a pillar or as something that we advocate for. It should just be built in within ourselves. It, it comes from within. You know, No one can give you civility. No one can give you this virtue because it has to be practiced and bred by oneself. And it goes back to the, the power of the individual, I think. It's, it's just not enough to say, Lord, let's all get along. You know, that, that, that's not going to be enough. You have to start with one person, then two people, then maybe four people, then eight people. It, that, can, that can grow, but it has to start somewhere. And I believe anyone who has that potential, who has that willpower to promote civility in our society, to promote civility in our political discourse, one seed can spread and grow new generations of Americans who believe in civility as a virtue in the United States. Civility is something that we need to just start cultivating within ourselves and inspire others to do so. Regardless of whether this is your first ever episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens, or if you've been listening since the very beginning of this program, I hope that you were able to take something of value from today's episode. I know that it is largely a somber one, as I mentioned in the very beginning, but this is really a very critical one. And I am very, very hopeful, personally, despite the concerns I have, I'm hopeful that it's because of people like you and people all across the nation who believe in these ideas of 
peaceful transitions of power, of democratic values, of freedom and opportunity and justice, and this idea of understanding the importance of civility, of practicing these pillars of Washington's farewell address, which I know that you are all doing. And I, I'm really, really thankful throughout this whole process, whether it's me doing interviews on other shows or really just continuing doing my programs here on Friends and Fellow Citizens, I'm so grateful for the amazing network of people who have worked with me, who are friends, who are family, just all the people who mean so much, and including, obviously, the listeners. You all are such an important part of not just this program, but of the fabric of our nation. And I cannot be more proud to call you my friends and fellow citizens. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to check out the links down if you would like to learn more about some of the other interviews I've done about January 6th and related lessons that we can learn to move on as a nation and to improve our political discourse. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. And remember, a day in America always gets better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens.